Assassin's Creed Unity launched in 2014 and quickly became the prime example of what happens when a beloved AAA developer falls on hard times. Essentially, Ubisoft Montreal became infected with upper-level management that was focused purely on profits and didn't give a crap about the vision or the passion that was behind the original titles. And as a result, they pushed out a buggy mess that was so broken on launch day that many people simply couldn't get past the opening five minutes of the game. We didn't know it at the time, but later leaks revealed that management was fully aware of these issues, but simply told the developers to ignore them, and if they had time, they would return to those issues, which, of course, they never did. In fact, even now, having played through the game one more time for this very video, I can say confidently that there are many issues which are still in the game today. They were never patched out, they were never fixed, especially on the PC port of the game. It's honestly like they simply gave up and walked away from the title, admitting defeat and saying, oh well, we'll get them next time. And part of you can't really blame them for this. The game is very, very broken, and it is a prime example of what happens when a game doesn't understand its own limitations. They pushed the graphics engine too hard because this game was the first exclusive Assassin's Creed on the new consoles back in 2014, and so they wanted to wow everyone. And indeed, even now, in certain scenes, the game looks astounding. It looks beautiful. It could hold its own compared to many AAA titles coming out in 2016-2017, but there's the other portions of the game where it absolutely collapses in on itself, and it's apparently so broken that they couldn't even fix it in the months and even years following the release of the game. Now the reason I'm making this video is because I wanted to go back to the very beginning. I wanted to play through this game now in 2017 and see if it really is as bad as everyone remembers it as being because after all when a game is fresh when it's just launched many people have very fresh feelings and they can feel hurt personally as a result of these glitches because they had this sort of epitome this great example of a game in their head the ultimate form of what they thought it would be and it simply didn't live up to it a great example for instance would be fallout 4 many people had a great ideas to what that was going to be. Hype built them up and built up their interpretation of what the game was going to be. But the hype level was so high that it was uncontrollable. And the hype level for Unity, I'm not sure if you guys can remember, but it was high. It was very high. This was the first Assassin's Creed game to be released on the new consoles. And it did and still does, in many instances, look great. It's truly a beautiful game. I think it's far more visually impressive than Syndicate, which came out a year later. But having gone back and played through the game, about half of it on PS4, and the other full game I played through on PC for this video, I can say the game is still a glitchy mess. I do believe they abandoned it. They realized that these problems were so numerous and vast that they couldn't possibly fix it without going and committing to a whole new development cycle. So they just said, we'll focus on Syndicate and we'll try to get it right the next time around. Which is truly heartbreaking because at the core of this game, 
And if you've played through it, you know what I mean. And I'm going to point out some examples as we go through the rest of this video. There are shadows. There's hints. There's uh, little mentionings and, and silhouettes of a really incredible game at this core. A at the very center of Unity, you see little dialogue sequences. You see little details that the developers put in that make you think, wow, this, this really could have been incredible. And that's what's truly, truly heartbreaking about it. And I'm going to go through some of those examples and explain why Assassin's Creed Unity is the most heartbreaking game I've ever encountered. Now, before we get into specific examples in the narrative and gameplay, for instance, I just want to clarify and establish that Arno, at least for me, is by far the most engaging, interesting, and sympathetic protagonist that the series has ever seen. And I've played all the games, and I honestly can connect with Arno, his humor, his personality, everything about him I want to see more of. He has this sort of magnetism that I can't get enough of. And that's frustrating because there's so many instances where dialogue is cut short or or where it doesn't sync quite right and so I'm kind of questioning what's going on and the gameplay can conflict with it and it just gets frustrating because I want to experience his story and see it through all the way to the end but I'm not able to and the game seems to not want you to either it seems to put up as many barriers as possible and as we go through some of these examples I think you'll see what I mean about his personality he's got some humor to him and uh, here's a couple of examples can't win fairly in cards so you stoop to thieving you bastard Calm down, Victor. I've only come for my watch. It's my watch. I want it fairly. Well, in a just world, Victor, I would agree with you, but this is not a just world. This is France. You're a dead man. Oh, step lightly there. You'll hurt yourself. Arno, le chevalier du Telem. Invitation, s'il vous plaît. About that, I had one, of course, but on the way. No invitation, no admittance. Now clear the queue. Next, please. She does not. You up there! Stop! Get down! Will you let me back in if I do? What? Certainly not! Well then, if it's all the same to you, I think I'll stay up here. And in addition to being a smooth-talking debonair smartass, Arno also has a lighter side that's much more sympathetic in the moments that we get to see it. The first time we get to see it is in the first 15 minutes of the game when you're playing as a child and you are playing with Elise and she dares you to steal an apple off of a table in the courtyard. You do so and the guards get upset, you hide from them, and it's sort of the tutorial uh, into stealth, which the game is going to use much more as we progress through it and then a loud noise is heard you look off in the distance and guards start rushing towards you now many children would immediately run and hide or try to pass the blame off on somebody else but Arno's instincts are different instead of passing the blame off on someone else or pretending like he doesn't know what potentially is going on Arno his first instinct is to take the blame upon himself in order to save 
those around him. And this is a theme that comes back over and over and over again throughout the story if you're looking for it and at least aware of it. I'm the one who took the apple. Let's see where they're going. But I'm going to try and stay away from these types of spoilers because I think I could get my point across without it. And potentially you might look at this and see the footage and be able to overlook the glitches and want to experience this game for yourself having never done it before. And I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Because as I said, the narrative and the characters in this game, I honestly believe are some of, if not the best in the entire series, which again is why it's so heartbreaking that they aren't given their fair shot. Now my claim that the story in this game is the best out of the entire series is a hefty one and one that no doubt will be heavily contested by many. And so I want to clarify that this is of course just my personal opinion, but I want to offer some context as to what's going on as we go through the rest of the gameplay so that we can compare. Don't worry, I'm not going to offer any major spoilers like the ending or the fate of many of these characters because as I said, this is a good game that I enjoy and I want you to have the chance to play it if you haven't, but I will offer sort of a brief synopsis with the help of the Assassin's Creed Unity wiki. Now, the game opens up with the player taking on the role of a quote-unquote initiate. Now, this is nothing new for the series, and they've always had this sort of weird, abstergo, modern-day plotline where they pretend as though you, the player, the person holding the controller, is a character within the story. And it's actually a pretty cool idea, and I enjoy it, but I have always and still feel as though these abstergo sequences are the low point in all of these games. And if you look at the film, for instance, the Assassin's Creed movie that launched this past December, I think you could also say that the Abstergo sequences, which made up probably 80% of that film, were the low points. And I think that that's a perfectly reasonable thing to argue, and most people who like the Abstergo sequences even still would also agree with that but would simply argue that they offer more context to the overall narrative and therefore should be kept, which I would say is also fair. Now, before we get into all of these French names, I do want to apologize for my lack of knowledge of the French language. I am not French, and you will be able to tell very, very quickly. But with that said, the game opens up with the siege of the Templar uh, Temple uh, in Paris, essentially the location where they house their sacred items and objects, and it's sort of their center of operations within Paris in 1307. Now, during the sack, a Templar our Grand Master, a head Quijone, so to speak, uh, by the name of Jacques de Molay, is captured. Now, de Molay, during the sequence, gives a book and a sacred sword to another Templar and asks you to run them uh, over to this crypt, hide them, you do so, and then during a cutscene, the guy walks back out of the crypt and is promptly assassinated by, you guessed it, an assassin. Now, after this, we get a quick jump all the way forward to many years later. Later, at which point Desmolay is being executed, burned at the stake in front of King Philip IV and Pope Clement V, at which point he curses them. And this, I will just say, is probably my favorite visually impressive scene in the entire franchise. I don't know what it is, but I love this shot, probably for all the wrong reasons, but I just wanted to put it out there. 
After this haunting and visually stunning scene, we shift perspective to Arno, but as a young boy. This gives us a little context for the next scene, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, we're sitting in a chair, and Arno's father comes up and hands him a pocket watch, telling him that he will return to that chair once the minute hand reaches the top of the watch. And so he walks away, and Arno is left sitting there. Now, as a little boy, I'm sure most of us weren't able to sit for more than five minutes, and Arno is no exception. He sees a little girl taunting him, and he decides to chase her. They have a great time. They run around this palace. They get into some trouble, steal an apple, and at, during a little cutscene, after learning some stealth mechanics, you hear a loud thud, and begin to return to the original location that you were at, that very chair. Arno looks at the pocket watch that his father just gave him and sees that the minute hand is at precisely the point where your father said it would be when he returned to the chair. You look up, and right in front of that chair, Arno's father is lying down dead. He's been killed, and Arno goes into what can only be described as shock. Now, this isn't exactly a new way of giving backstory to a character for this franchise specifically. If you remember in Assassin's Creed 3, Connor's entire backstory was based on the idea that his family, and specifically his mother, were all murdered right in front of him. He had to watch his mother die, and so it seems to be very intentional or lazy, but I would argue intentional that the Assassin's Creed tends to draw in these abandoned children. Children, these orphans, which only makes sense. These are people that don't have a family that's pushing them. They are wandering souls in many ways. So it only makes sense that they would look for some sort of fraternity like the kind that you would find in a quote unquote creed. Regardless, we switch perspectives once again to Arno as an adult looking at this same pocket watch. We see somebody barge in, and Arno is taken a little aback, but it turns out that Arno has broken into this chap's house to steal back the pocket watch, which he lost in a game of cards, fair and square, but Arno doesn't really care. Now, I think it's important to analyze this fairly, because any first exposure to a character, which I consider this our first exposure to Arno, because after all, a lot of development happens between your childhood and your adulthood. So the fact that Ubisoft's writers chose to make this the first time we meet Arno, I think is significant. Now there's two ways of interpreting this first interaction with Arno. One, you could take it as he's a thief who doesn't have much respect for other people uh, and other people's free will. He lost these this pocket watch in a card game. He has no right to take it back, and yet he still does. So this could be an attempt to describe Arno as a sort of lost soul or a criminal that needs redemption, and he's looking for it any way he can when Elise comes back to town and kind of makes him realize that he wants to be better than he currently is. That's one way of interpreting it. The other way of interpreting it is that he's simply a smug a-hole that doesn't respect people, that's a punk, and needed a little more spanking during his youth. 
Now, both of these arguments are fair, and I can see how both have evidence to support them. And I think they're both right, at least in some way, but I would side more closely to the former example. I think what Ubisoft's writers were trying to do is to show Arno to be this sort of lost soul who doesn't have any sort of purpose. He's not afraid of consequences. He's not afraid of getting in trouble because he has nothing to lose. And once he gets involved in the brotherhood, the Assassin's Creed, he all of a sudden does have a purpose. He has something to lose, which gives meaning to his actions. And that makes sense to me. And I'm not saying that it's incredible writing. I'm not saying that any of these games have great writing, but I do believe that this is a step up, at least in terms of sympathy or communication of a character's attributes. It's an improvement above and beyond the other games in this franchise. Most of the other characters in this game, whether you're talking about Connor or you're talking even about Altair, you're talking about characters whose personalities and characteristics are communicated in a very stiff and hard to read way. This game does it through subtle, funny, and witty dialogue, and at least for me, it works much better. But with that having been said, Arno escapes these guys, at least temporarily, makes it back to his place of residence with Monsieur Delessé, who is the individual who adopted him after his father's assassination. They talk a little bit about how Arno needs to get his act together. Arno laughs it off, which again demonstrates at the very least that Ubisoft's writers were aware that Arno is a bit of a punk, at least in this stage of the game, and is setting him up to redeem or at least improve, which he does as you play through the game. He seems to mature quite a bit, even in the first few hours of the game, which I think argues, as I said previously, for the former example. But nonetheless, Arno finds out that Elise, the little girl from the opening, is back in town from Paris, and she is holding some sort of party. She's uh, going to be in town at this big banquet, which you will later find out is her initiation into the Templar Order. At this point, Arno becomes a little personally insulted because he has not received an invitation, and he assumes that it was simply misplaced, because that's what you assume, <laughs> and he tries to figure out some way of justifying uh, his attendance to this party. Now, he walks outside and sees a messenger boy yelling after Monsieur Delessé's carriage, because apparently this letter must be delivered immediately. It is of the utmost importance, and so Arno says that he'll deliver it. He runs off to try to catch the carriage, but but can't find it, and so he returns back to the house, at which point he decides to sneak the letter under the door, because, eh, who cares, it can't be that important, of course, and he dresses up in one of Monsieur Delessé's outfits and decides to go to the party anyways. You sneak in, and you find Elise, at which point you share a awesome hot smooch, or whatever the kids call it nowadays, and you are pushed out because after all the guards are coming, you run down to the courtyard, at which point you see Monsieur Delessé. Uh, I don't, I got my tongue tangled there. Monsieur Delessé. There we go. <laughs> Monsieur Delessé. You see him assassinated in front of you. Arno runs up to help him. The guards are called by the actual assassin, and it turns out that Arno is blamed for it and thrown in the Bastille. Now, this for me was the first time that I was really disappointed by the game. Up until this point, the game was visually very impressive and it seemed to control decently. They seemed to have front-loaded much of the patchwork, so it seemed to be running well and I was having a great time with it. But the CG and the, the storming of the Bastille is a very 
huge historical event that I thought was going to be made a focal point in the narrative. And I was very, very excited. It got its own trailer, for goodness sakes. But no, it's something that you experience from the inside out and you get a brief flyover shot, but it's not used to its fullest extent. And that's a little disappointing. But nonetheless, you hang out with this guy um, who turns out to be an assassin. And he teaches you in the ways, and his name is Pierre Belec, and he trains you in the fighting mechanics of the game and the climbing mechanics of the game. You escape from the Bastille. He gives you a little pendant and says, come and find us if you can. You'll fit great. You'll be great. We'll have a great time. We'll party hard. It'll be wonderful. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but then you do a leap of faith off. The camera sweeps down and you get the title screen showing you that this is indeed Assassin's Creed Unity and that the game is officially off to the races. Now, at this point, I do want to address an elephant in the room, which is that these characters are French, and yet they all have British accents. This is something that a lot of people had an issue with and took notice of because it's kind of hard not to. And it was something that was hard to explain initially. I mean, it's set in France. How could they possibly mess up having French accents? After all, this game was developed at Ubisoft Montreal, where most people speak French. And so how is this remotely possible that the flagship version of the game was published with British voice actors? And according to somebody who I got in contact with, who apparently worked on this game back in 2013, he said that the choice to have British voice actors was intentional because the British accent that most of these characters use is much crisper and clearer and easier to understand without the use of subtitles than a typical French accent, which, while there's nothing wrong with having a French accent, tends to be harder to understand for the average individual in any name your random country. Now, do I have an issue with this? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think that it impacts the voice performance. I actually think the performances of the actors in this game are among the best in the entire series. And so I don't take much of an issue with it. I understand that if you're a purist or if you uh, identify much more with identity politics and you think that only British actors should play British individuals and only black actors should play black characters and only white actors should play white characters. Uh, if you're more like that, I can understand why you're a little frustrated by this. I don't personally have an issue with it. I think it's understandable and makes sense. But it is very noticeable because after all... This game is set in France, and the game repeatedly has the characters using French slang or short phrases stated in French, where all of a sudden they have a French accent to deliver those lines, but in their regular dialogue, they're very sophisticated and British, and it's very, very sweet and cool and crisp. It's a little jarring when that happens, I will grant you, but on the whole, it didn't pull me out of my immersive experience with the game. I didn't see much of an issue with it. Now, for the sake of clarity, right after the title sequence, Arno goes back to meet Elise, at which point she explains that she blames him in many ways for the death of her father and shows him the note that he slipped underneath Monsieur Delessay's door instead of actually delivering it to him. And it is at this point revealed that she is not only a Templar, but also that the note was warning Monsieur Delessay against going to the party 
and specifically stating that his life was in danger. And this obviously guilts Arno into believing that he was in some way responsible in reality for Monsieur Delessay's death. But with all that said, that is the prologue, that is the intro for Assassin's Creed Unity. Now, for me personally, this intro was the best introduction of characters and establishing an intriguing story and plotline since Assassin's Creed 2, which really pulled me in personally. It didn't pull everyone in, but... It pulled me in. Now, the reason I think this is because Arno is both sympathetic because we see him as a child, but he's also sort of problematic. He's got his issues, which we see in his adult life, but he also has this romantic interest, Elise, but this innate conflict because he is going to join the Assassin's Creed, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be an Assassin's Creed game. And yet his love interest is a Templar. So already there is this clash of cultures in many ways and creeds that has to be resolved by the end of the game. So if you're paying attention and you're watching and you're really thinking about what's going on with these characters, it's intriguing nonetheless. It won't work for everyone, but at least for me, it did. As for gameplay, all of the typical Assassin's Creed tropes are still there. You have the hidden blade, you go and you have sword fighting and you can sneak around and climb and free run up places. You have eagle vision. All of that is the same, even down to having a cafe that you can run and sponsor and upgrade just like your villa in Assassin's Creed 2, which will earn you extra profits and uh, some spending money, even if you aren't directly involved in the operations therein. So for the most part, the game doesn't do a whole lot that's different. But the one thing that it really tries to do differently, which I can really appreciate, is that it tries to open it up so that there are multiple ways of approaching each and every assassination mission. For instance, the first mission, uh, the first sorted assassination mission that you have is at Notre Dame. And this was actually really interesting when I first played it, because up until this point, I had always thought that the Assassin's Creed mission set was that you had to assassinate a character. You had to enter in one path and do it the way they wanted. If they wanted it to be stealth, you could pick pick which guards you wanted to assassinate first, but for the most part, you followed a set path. With this, no. There's a way that you can get a key from somebody down on the ground level and then take it up to uh, a monk or a, a priest at the very top of the tower and open the door that way and climb in through the top tower, or you can go in through an open stained glass window that's being repaired, or you can find a cracked door that somebody forgot to lock, or you can just go charging in the front, killing everybody, you you know, sword ablazing, so to speak, uh, you can approach it however you want. And I really, really appreciated that. Now, apparently the reason they pushed for this was because they were pushing co-op when the game initially launched. I'm sure you can remember all of the trailers and all of the uh, multicolored uh, release and promotional DLC, day one DLC, and all of that garbage that was on launch day that frustrated so many people. But the result of it in the single player game is a much broader approach and uh, design to these individual missions, which I think is a welcome change and I wish were more prominent in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. As for the controls, 
the game, of course, even after all of these patches, still feels like you're playing an Assassin's Creed game. There's barely any weight to your character at all. Now, this is something that was improved in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, especially when you were playing as Jacob. You felt like he actually weighed a hefty amount and had to pull himself up on ledges, and each of his steps had weight and plomped down on the ground. I liked that because it made me feel like I was controlling a human being. In this game, you feel like you're controlling a balloon, kind of like uh, when you're controlling Eevee in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. You're just running around floating, and it seems like there's no trouble at all climbing up these surfaces, even in the rain, which climbing up stained glass is difficult in and of itself, but when it's pouring rain, you would think that you would slip even a little bit, and that's something that hasn't even been improved on in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and it'll be interesting to see if they incorporate that sort of uh, weather dynamic into Assassin's Creed Empire when that eventually launches, but we'll just have to see. That game being set in Egypt, they might be able to avoid dynamic weather and all manner of problems that are contained therein because after all you're basically in a desert but you never know but I thought it was something that was important because it's still a problem in this franchise even after a decade of releases you still feel as though you don't have complete control over the character they seem to have a mind of their own and they don't have any weight so when you're moving the joystick around or hitting WASD it just feels like you're controlling a a, a balloon and that there's no actual gravity in play and so that's something I would like to see improved as the series moves forward. As for combat, it's same old, same old. It's button mashing. It's simply a matter of sneaking up. The only way that you can make combat legitimately interesting and fun is to play like an assassin, to not go in guns blazing, but rather to be more reserved, sneak around, and do things stealthily, which I think is actually the reason why these games haven't put much of any focus until Jacob and Evie Fry in Syndicate. They haven't put any focus on the sort of brawler combat and that was simply because they didn't want you to play that way so they didn't bother polishing it up to make it work really really well they wanted to almost deter you by making it suck which is a weird way of doing it but I can see the point behind it with syndicate it was improved slightly but still turned into the same mash X or square and then occasionally tap triangle or Y just so that you can dodge and then oh well I'm gonna punch 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 parry punch 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 it's parry buttons are totally overpowered in all of these games I think they should be done away with do a dodge have a roll button sure but parry buttons uh, parry controls in general I loathe and detest that's my personal opinion yours might differ but for me the combat was nothing inspiring or or special but it got the job done and didn't detract in any way from my overall experience for the most part now, as for the elephant in the room, the glitches, have they been fixed? Well, yes and no. It's kind of weird how they approached these. So when the game first launched, there were glitches galore. It was so horrendous that many people, as I said earlier, had to shut off the game in the first 15 minutes because it was so terrible. Skin not rendering, uh, blank eyes that were hollow, mouths weren't rendering, hair extended to 30 feet long. It was a mess. Not to mention frame rate issues, uh, among other things. 
Now, for me, in 2017, three years after this game's release, I have been running this game, as I said, on PlayStation 4 and on my gaming PC, running a GTX 1070 Founders Edition that's overclocked like a monster. Now, with that 1070, it should be able to run this game in 1080p on ultra settings and get steadily above 60 FPS, no problem. However, it fails to do that. This game is horribly optimized. It's honestly like they just gave up. I honestly do believe it is an engine issue because apparently many of these issues, especially with the pop-in, which should be fixed by having higher levels of VRAM, such as in the 8 gigabyte version of the, the Founders Edition of the 1070, which I have, pop-in on these character models shouldn't be an issue. The textures should be just fine. But rather, we see it still popping in just as badly, if not even worse, on the PC version of the game, which is hard to quantify. But according to the people I've spoken to who were involved in this game, it honestly looks like they simply gave up. The issues with this game were so deep inside the engine that to fix it would take six months of solid work and they didn't feel that it was necessary or called for or that the demand was even truly there because most people had simply abandoned the game so they did too they moved on to work on empire and syndicate they said we'll get them next time and left it they fixed the majority of the really clear graphical ones such as the skin not rendering but all of the others such as random popping on the characters they left in and in I kid you not this is their actual excuse their reason for this insane character popping that you see in the game even today was that it's an animus issue and so they blame the lore of the game for their own graphical shortcomings and technological problems that's a little insane that they have to blame it like that that's like playing fallout 4 and them saying that the reason that you're seeing frame drops is because your pit boy is malfunctioning it's so insanely insulting to everyone's intelligence to suggest that these are intentional but that's what they did now hopefully they'll fix it in the next release uh assassin's creed empire of course and they've said that after unity they learned their lesson and that alpha has to be at least one year before release. Now, with Unity, apparently, Alpha was only a couple of months before uh, the actual launch of the game. And if you're not familiar with game development, essentially, Alpha is when the majority... Basically, the game is, is about finished, but it's nothing you would show to the public. It's still got horrible glitches. Pieces of it are unfinished. Still needs a lot of work, but the skeleton is there for the most part. Most of the muscles are attached. The skeleton's there. The skin just isn't polished, and it doesn't look pretty. Beta is when it's good enough that you can show it to the world, but it's by no means your finished product. You still have some work to do. And then, of course, the full release should be after several beta builds and well, well after you have an alpha build. With Unity, alpha was within literally eight weeks or so of the actual launch date. And you also have to consider that you still have to have uh, copies of the game sent off to manufacturers to copy to the discs for the console versions. And then you have to build day one patches that have to be downloaded. It's a huge ordeal. And it's something that they simply rushed out the door. This game was not ready to be released when it was. And thankfully, they seem to have learned their lesson 
Jetson, so much so that, as I said, their CEO has come out and said that Alpha Now has to be a full year before release. And so if we're talking about this upcoming Assassin's Creed game, it must have been an Alpha last fall or possibly last summer, which is very, very encouraging because that means that this entire year has been spent doing nothing but polishing, but improving, but fixing all of these little issues that bug us like random pop-ins, you know, uh, actually polishing and optimizing the game for each of the platforms. And I honestly can't wait. Hopefully they aren't tricking us. Hopefully they aren't pulling uh, one over our eyes and they're actually doing this. But if we're going to take them at their word, which I understand if you don't want to, but if we're going to, then their upcoming game should be a vast technical improvement over this game. Now, I know I've spent the majority of this video criticizing Assassin's Creed Unity, and that's very intentional, because if I'm going to suggest that you try something out, especially something as controversial as Unity, I want to be even-handed about it. I don't want to just gush about this game that I honestly have enjoyed playing through again basically one and a half times. As I said earlier, I played through about half of the game on PlayStation 4 and through the game entirely on PC. It in the last few weeks in preparation for this video, and I enjoyed every moment of it. Sure, there were moments where the game glitched out or had some issues or where I was pulled out of my uh, state of immersion because of some horrible pop-in that occurred or I had a frame drop that totally was uncalled for, but on the whole, Assassin's Creed Unity is in many ways a hidden gem. Just the problem is it's hidden underneath a pile of garbage. And the only people that are going to find this gem and to appreciate it are those who are willing to go through and sift through all of that garbage to get to it. Unity has technical issues. Unity is not a polished game. Unity is a game that clearly was not finished when it was released, but even still, it is a great and enjoyable Assassin's Creed title, and I enjoyed every moment of it, which makes it all the more heartbreaking that a game that I'm enjoying this much, so much so that I'm willing to throw together a 40 minute long video discussing it three years after its release, a game that good is still so broken it breaks my heart because all I can do is imagine how awesome it would have been if they had given this game the time and the care that it deserved. But that's all for this video. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you did, please hit that like button. It really helps me out. And consider subscribing if you haven't already. And as always, thank you for watching. If you made it to the end of this very long video, you are a scholar and a saint. I love you all. And I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.